All right. Well, tonight we've come to chapter 12, verses 12 through 27, and this has been pretty good. Paul has just been weaving his way through this book, scolding this church, but also edifying this church of Corinth, right? Uh, he, he obviously has a lot to talk about at the beginning when he calls out their sins, sins that they were letting go on without any type of, of, of accountability. Um, but then he's moving uh, to this place of encouragement and thanking them for who they are in Christ and reminding them of who they are in Christ. And, and today he reminds them and us how much they need each other. That's where the church is, right? It's, it's, a, it's just a bunch of people gathered together who've been saved by the grace of God. Uh, people that need each other, people that are no better than each other, but all equal in Christ and filled with the same spirit. And so this is kind of encouraging. Now, this idea of many members, one body, the one body is so important because uh, it's, it's so easy for us to have this skewed definition of church. What is church? Um, what does it mean? Is it a business? Is it a gigantic entity? Is it a huge building? Um, and we understand the word ecclesia, which is church, simply means a gathered group, a called out group of believers. And so therefore the church is people, the gathering of people. And Hebrews tells us in Hebrews 10, 25, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together because that's what the church is. So uh, Paul reminds us today about this. And I think it's important because uh, we, as God's people saved by God's grace and members of a local assembly. So that's, that's what we're getting at. The Christian life is not a, a singularity. Um, it, is, it is not a, a one-person sport. It is a team sport, right? I mean, so there's no individualism in it. There's no Lone Ranger Christians. We are called, and all through Scripture we see this model that when the people, when a person came to know Christ, they joined themselves to other people who knew Christ. That's the church, right? And, and so I'm saying all this because, because that idea, that idea of community, of living life together, being accountable together, uh, rejoicing together, working together, praying together, right? Laughing together, crying together, rejoicing together, all those things. That is under attack like never before. God created humans to live in community. Uh, think about it. What did God say in Genesis? It's not good that man should be alone. And so we are meant to, to be with other people. Uh, we, we, we are meant to live our lives in families, in churches, in communities, in groups. It's just, that's, that's how humans are, are made. And, and yet we're headed, I believe, uh, to more of a transhumanist society. Transhumanist society. You say, what is transhumanist? This idea of the physical humanity being mixed with the digital okay it's 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 the idea of we don't need to meet as humans together we can kind of have our reality on our own um um i, I let me let um michael Recht, rechtenwald who just spoke at uh, hillsdale college and uh, some of this is taken from his speech there but michael uh, rechtenwald is the chief academic officer of the american scholar and um Here's what he says. And again, he's addressing something here known as is 4IR. I believe that this, this 
transhumanistic society is kind of being ushered in by something known as 4IR, which stands for the Fourth Industrial Revolution. Okay, so you know, we've had, remember the Industrial Revolution, right? Well, we technically had about four of those. And he kind of breaks that down, and I'll, I'll, I'll just read this for us. There's a reason I'm doing all this. You're saying, wow, he's not, what's he doing? Are, are we at a college seminar or in church? We're in church, and we're getting to the Bible, but I want to lay this foundation. I think it's important that we see this. He says, the first, second, and third industrial revolutions were the mechanical, the electrical, and the digital revolutions. The four IR marks the convergence of existing and emerging fields, including big data, artificial intelligence, machine learning, quantum computing, genetics, uh, nanotechnology, and robotics. The foreseen result will be the merging of the physical, digital, and biological worlds, which present a challenge to the ontologies by which we understand ourselves and the world, including the definition of human of a human being. I think it's really interesting that he says this. He doesn't promote himself to be a Christian or anything, but he's talking about ontology, the way we think and know, the framework by which we know what a human being is. This is going to be under attack, of course, when you merge and kind of skew those things together, the physical, the digital, and the biological makeup of a human being. Well, then what is a human, after all, if that happens, right? We, we already see the beginning stages of this merging of the physical and the digital world uh, in our gaming systems, right? With, with virtual goggles, right? Virtual reality headsets and, and, and games kind of geared to this virtual world where you can kind of live a life in your, in your house, shut up in your room, and uh, you can be in this little virtual world walking around on, on a treadmill maybe, but not going anywhere, but um, living life in kind of a virtual world. Yeah, you're with other people, quote unquote, but are you with people? No, you're with data, digital, digitized in some kind of a screen. And I know there's been movies and Hollywood has done this. There was the, uh, the surrogate. I think Bruce Willis was in a movie where this idea of he, he was, uh, uh, you know, all the people lived and they hooked up to their, their surrogate person. They live life in these, these mechanical bodies and, and so forth. But folks, I'm saying, and I don't want to sound crazy here, <laughs> but the truth is we look around at our technology in the direction of our world and we see it's happening. We see the world moving more toward organized loneliness isolationism and pushing toward a virtual life your real life is hard and people are hard so let's just have virtual lives and let's isolate from each other and just kind of live alone together now the idea of this organized loneliness was hannah arnett's idea she's also a doctor and 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 it, it, it's it's a pretty neat and fitting title organized loneliness um, it's already been manifest in the lockdowns and the masking and the social distancing and the, the social exclusion of unvaccinated and so forth. We do kind of see this movement of, of isolation happening uh, in our world. And, and think about the title of, of, of the Ad Council's March 2020 public uh, ad that began to run all over. What's it say? It says, alone together. Well, that's kind of an oxymoron, alone together. But again, the idea is, I, I believe there's a, and again, I'm not trying to be conspiratorial. I just know that the enemy wants to reverse everything that God has created as good. And God said it's good that man not be alone. And yet the enemy is trying his best to segregate man from man, to isolate, to get us to, to pull away. 
And, and so our text today, the reason I used that long introduction and kind of um, wanted to be a little relevant with it, but to show us nonetheless, there is this negative look, in a sense, of gathering together, of being in community with other people. And our text reinforces the truth that we were created to live in community. And that the church especially is people living together. You, you just can't do it. So the virtual goggle idea, right? And, and I know that when, when we shut down our church for three months, we, nobody really knew what was happening and so forth. And we were on TV, as, as many other churches are. But, but a lot of people look at that now as the way to the future, right? That many churches are not going to ever gather again. And they're, they're, they're going virtual. Folks, according to the Bible, that's not church, nor could it ever be. You, cannot, you, can, you can't substitute this supernatural thing God made of people coming together in a place, gathering together. The Holy Spirit is there at the same time. The Word of God is being proclaimed at the same time. That cannot be duplicated. Now, we can learn online, and I encourage that, and many people need that, and we want to continue that. But I want to encourage us tonight just to see the importance of us being together. As 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 13 begins, he says this, to remind the Corinthians of what, who they really are. They're, they're one, uh, they belong one to another. He says, for just as the body is one and has many members, he's speaking here of the physical body, our biological bodies, right? Just as that body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, make up one body. So it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. So, so what are we seeing here? We're seeing that, and I, I want to kind of deal with this, what Paul begins with here, the, the idea of what makes us all one body, what unifies us. So ultimately, we know it's not just being together, because you know what? You can sit in a crowd and still not be unified with that crowd. <laughs> there can be people in that crowd that still are not on board. There can be, you can be sitting next to an atheist and not be unified in, in heart and soul with him. You're just locationally together, ge you know, um, what's the, geographically in the same location. But what we're talking about here in the church, there is not only geographical location, but our hearts, our minds, our spirits are one. And we know why that is. It's the Holy Spirit. So let's take a minute and see what this is talking about. Because this is, this is addressing the idea of how we are baptized, if you will, in the Holy Spirit? How do we receive the Holy Spirit? He deals with that. He says this, for in one spirit, capital S, one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Whether you're Jew, Greek, slave, free, male, female, doesn't matter. It's by that one spirit that you've been baptized and therefore made to drink. All of us were made to drink of the same one spirit. So there's two analogies that he's using here about how we receive the Holy Spirit. He uses the idea of drinking in the Holy Spirit and the idea of being baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I want to talk real quick about how that is and what this is saying in, the, in this, this universal sense, because in one way here, Paul is talking about every believer. I believe that that, that passage, 1 Corinthians 12, uh, 12 through 13, talks about this idea of any believer anywhere in the world when you come to know Jesus Christ by faith, when you trust the gospel, you are baptized with the Holy Spirit. You receive 
the Holy Spirit, and therefore you are part of the one body of Christ universal. So that's what we would call the universal aspect of the church. So our, that's what I said tonight when we began to pray. We have brothers and sisters in Ukraine and in Russia and in Japan and in China that are our brothers and sisters, and we are united to them with them. The same spirit. We've drank the same spirit. We've been baptized in that same spirit. And, and, and I want to just use some of these verses that, that show us this. Um, because I, again, I think there's some confusion on this, and I think it's a good time tonight to talk about this while we're in the context, right? So Mark 1, 6 through 8, we see this teaching from John who explains about what Christ will do when he baptizes. So now John the Baptist is who he's talking about here. John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locust and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me, comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. Obviously speaking of Christ. Look what he says. I, John, have baptized you with water. But he, Jesus, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So, and I will say, some commentators are very strict about verses 12 through 3, and they say that that's talking only about water baptism and about local church membership. But I believe by the context there and using Mark 6, that Jesus is talking about um, a, a broader concept here. He's talking about anybody who believes on Christ by faith is saved by grace. How are we saved? The Holy Spirit seals us. We are baptized that moment in the Holy Spirit. That's what he's saying. That's what Jesus does when we have faith in him. He baptizes us in the Holy Spirit. Acts 1.5 said the same thing. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So Jesus himself reiterated that right before the, the day of Pentecost. Now it does apply to Pentecost, obviously, but it applies to all those who trust Christ. As Ephesians 1.13 and 14 tell us, Let's notice that. It says, in him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, that's the gospel of your salvation, so you had to hear the preaching, right? You heard the word of truth, the truth of your salvation, the gospel of your salvation, and you believed in him. You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So do you see that? I love what Paul's saying there in Ephesians. He's kind of given the, the, whole, the whole, you know, chronological order of what's happening here. You hear the gospel preached. That's the hope of your salvation. You receive that word of who Jesus is and what he's done for you. And what happens? You're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. What is he? He's the guarantee. <laughs> I love that. That is our hope, God's word here. Now, that is, that, again, that universal aspect, right, of how a person comes to know Christ, they trust the gospel, and they are baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit. And therefore, we are all brothers and sisters, right? And we have the same spirit. But I do want to also talk about, that's, that again is that spiritual baptism, but, but it also, can, we cannot leave the idea of water baptism and what that is, because that's also mentioned throughout Scripture and, and very important about our identity with one another, okay? So I want to talk about the idea that baptism 
this baptism, like this one right here, a water baptism, identifies us with fellow believers at a, at a local level, okay? So we see the results of the, of the Holy Spirit in somebody's life. We don't actually see the Holy Spirit baptizing them, but we see the results of a person who has received the Holy Spirit, right? Because they will live different. They won't be the same. There'll be some evidence that there's regeneration going on. But as far as believers, when somebody comes and professes Christ, boy, this was big in the New Testament days. How do I know you're really a believer? And in the New Testament, it really mattered because there were many false prophets and also persecutors who would come to break up churches. And sometimes they would come in as friends, right? Wolves in sheep's clothing. And so baptism really separated that because if, if, you, were, if you were baptized by water in the name of Jesus, the Father, Son, and, and Holy Spirit, that made you almost like public, public enemy number one in society during that time. And so, so it unified you. If you were willing to be baptized in the name of Christ publicly to show that in your heart you have believed and received his word, then you just unified yourself and identified yourself with others who also were willing to do that. Does that make sense? That's, that's what we do here on Sunday mornings when, when we baptize people. They're saying, we identify with you. We also are trusting Christ. We also believe that he's the only way of salvation. We've also put our faith in him and he has saved us because he died, was buried, and rose again for us. That's what we picture. And so we're identifying with Christ and with, with one another. And I think that's the picture in Acts 2, 40, verses uh, 40 through 41. And let's notice, again, this was the day of Pentecost. And this, you see a, a double fulfillment. We see the Holy Spirit coming in power, like Christ promised. But we also see this local baptizing with water. And, and so what's happening here? Well, Peter's preaching, and everybody's hearing him preach in their own language. And like I said last week, not just their own language, uh, Sako, but like since you speak Japanese, of course, there's accents, right? We all thought only Kentuckians had accents, but everybody has an accent. And what happened in this time in the book of Acts, they said, we not only hear them speaking Japanese, but we hear the very region that we're from, the very location, the very accent. It's perfect speech. And that's what they're doing. They're preaching the gospel here and people are hearing it. And so, so look what verse 40, um, it says this. And by, by the way, Peter preached a long time, but we're just going to catch the, the last part. <laughs> Verse 40 says, and with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Basically, he had preached about Christ being the savior and he tells them now, make a decision, right? Now look what he goes on, what it goes on to say. So those who received his words, they received the gospel. They received what Peter said about Jesus. They believed it, they received it. Those who received it were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So they were identifying themselves with others who have already identified with Christ. And so, so we, we have this unity, you see, as well. Um, so I just wanted to point that out. I think it's important in Paul's talking to a group of people in Corinth who have all been baptized both in the Spirit and they've been baptized physically in the water to show each other we are one we are identifying with christ and we're not ashamed of that and we obey him as our lord and savior now moving on back to our text very quickly uh verse verse uh, 14 of first of corinthians 12 we see that the body again is not singular but plural 
the body itself is one, but it's made up of many. So in that sense, it's a plural thing, right? So look at verse 14. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, well, because I'm not the hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, well, because I'm not the eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, well, then where would be the sense of hearing? And if the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members, plural, in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body, right? We're not just one big nose, right? And I relate to big noses, folks, so I understand, right? I, my kids have joked with me, and they've also been cursed with that big nose. So anyway, um, so, you know, we're not just one ear. We're not, we're not one big eyeball. Although a lot of us are nosy. We like to look around. I'm just kidding. But we're not, we're not all uh, uh, one hand. We're all, we've all got our own things, right? We all have a gift. that We all have a certain attribute that God has made for us to have. And then together we make up a body. So that's, that's the beautiful analogy that he's used. This biology of a physical body. And now he's using it for the church. And we all have different roles. Which he goes on in verses 21 through 27 to say... He says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. So this, again, is what happens sometimes when we think too much of ourselves. <laughs> so the eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. Yes, you do. You do. That eye's going to find out when he sees something that he wants, and he tries to get it. He's got no hand to get it. He needs the hand, right? And same with the ear. He's going to hear beautiful music. and say, oh, I love that music. Where can I buy that record? Uh, and he's got no fingers to Google. To, to, to search. <laughs> I'm just saying, we need all of our body to function properly. And so the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. This is a glorious truth, right? There is no unimportant member of the body, and there is no unimportant member of a local church. It says, on the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our, uh, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But, and here's the, the summation of all that, but God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And so that's, I know that's a lot there, talking about this idea of, well, our bodies, you know, our bodies right now, we have some unpresentable parts that we, we show modesty to. Um, but, but all of the body is still important, he's saying. Just because it may have, they, they, they may not be seen all the time. I don't see my kidneys, but I know I need those things, right? I do see my face a lot. I see my eyes, my ears, my well, not as much of my hair as I used to, but you see what I'm saying? But even the parts I don't see are vital. And so we're all 
equally important to function as a church. And we, we're going to talk about this. The reason I'm not getting into specific gifts, we've, we've kind of hit on them a little bit. We're going to get on them some more. But we already talked about some of the gifts, right? There's the gift of mercy. Some people just have mercy flowing out of them. They, they just have such a caring uh, empathy for people. It just comes natural. That's my gift. I'm, why are you laughing, Kim? I knew she would. I knew she would laugh at that. I just was waiting for it. So I'm kind of known as not being the most sympathetic or empathetic, but thank the Lord there's Frank Schott Sr., right? <laughs> Amen, people say, right? Uh, and, and, and then we need somebody who's, who's got a gift of, of helps, and so they show up and they just begin to help people. They just love to do that. We, the gift of giving, that's a gift. Being not stingy is a gift. I mean, we're all called to be generous, but some people God has given this gift to, to be overboard, right? And that's, that's good because his kingdom needs those, those gifts. The gift of teaching. Not everybody can teach, but we need teachers. So we thank God for those who do have the gift of teaching. So that's, there's so many more. Administration, uh, organization, uh, all these gifts. Very much important. Many of them not ever seen. Gift of music. You know, we do see those gifts. We thank the Lord for Brad and the other, my daughter and others who sing and, and, and take part. And we see those gifts. And sometimes it's, it's easy to forget the people sitting up there. I forgot about Mike. He's up there right now. Look at him. Michael Lawrence. You don't even know he's there every week, do you? You don't even know it. And yet we got to have him, right? Without that, those guys, we don't see words on the screens. And all pandemonium breaks out, right? The, the, the mics don't work and we all complain and you know, it's, isn't it true that you never really see those guys until there's a problem, then we all talk about them and we give them a hard time. Poor guys. Okay, I've wondered here, right? Let's get back. The, I hope you get my point. Everybody is important. Whatever your gift is, God has placed you here for a reason, and we've got to have everybody in order to function as a local body for the glory of God. And here's how we begin to live that life together. He's, he hits it a little bit toward the end here. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked, that there may be no divisions in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And here's how. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. And, and we could continue with that, right? If somebody's weeping over the loss of a loved one, then we're all weeping with them. We're just weep. We don't have to say, hey, it'll be okay. We don't have to tell them how it's going to be better. We just have to be there at that moment, weeping with them. And then when somebody has a, a new baby, we rejoice with them. And on and on, right? So, so that's, that's really, again, a beautiful picture, but you can't really do it as well. Again, all of this stuff, folks, think about this. Have you ever, and I'm not putting this down, I thank God for the technology we have, like I mentioned at the beginning. I thank God we can put videos out. I thank God we can learn that way. But we still miss out on some of the, the, just the innate things that God has created in us to experience when we're together. It's a chemical thing. I was talking about this with Travis today, and, and he was talking about having lunch with one of our uh, parents of one of the kids today. And as they got ready to leave, the guy just said, Travis, man, I, I really, this, this was just a blessing. He said, this really was just, something transpired here. I'm encouraged in a way I can't even explain. And, and we got talking about that, and it's like, I think there is a, a, a physical, and, and, and whether it's chemicals in our 
brain that are triggered when we interact with each other. All that happens, and you cannot duplicate that over FaceTime. And I love to see, like sometimes we'll, I mean, even though we live right down the road, we'll FaceTime to see Evie, right? And uh, it is nice, and she does silly things, but boy, it's nothing like just seeing that little Evie and bringing her close and hearing her say, whoo, whoo, that's, her big, that's, all, that's what she says all the time now, whoo, whoo. But you, you got to experience that, and you, and you smell that, and, and then she says, and you smell that. But I mean, <laughs> but I'm just, <laughs> but there's no way to, to, to get that second hand. You've got to be present. You see my point? We've got to be in the, in the physical moment. Right? Not just the digital moment for that. <laughs> I know some, we want to be in the digital moment for the other, but I'm just saying this is what Paul's trying to remind us and what the scriptures all remind us, that, that the last part of this, this verse, we'll read it. This is summing it up. This is what he's trying to remind us. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So again, there's this body that remembers of, but it's not a body unless we're there. Individually we got to be there to make the body. That's what makes the church. And so that's why it's so vital that we see the, 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 the inerrant value that God has put in us to be a block in his body. Does, does this make, I hope we, you're all valuable tonight. I mean, we're, we're encouraging each other just by being here. And there's nothing like that. So I want to just encourage you to be, be grateful for that. And let's sacrifice for that and let's encourage others to do that as hebrews tells us so much more as we see the days approaching because it's going to get here folks it's going to be here where groups like this however ever we can meet we are going to be each other's lifelines it's going to be tough and, and we're going to be the ones encouraging each other and loving each other so if we can't be in the habit now chances are we're not going to be in the habit then so let's Let's encourage one another in this good word. Okay, let's pray. I'm done. Perfect time, too. Tonight, I'm done on time. So let's rejoice together in that as well. Father God, we thank you for your word. We're just, again, amazed at the fact that we can even be a part of this because this is not a club. This is not a, an association. This is not a man-made gathering. This is the supernatural body of Christ. And so, Father, you've first and foremost saved us from our sins. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We are amazed at that. And then, Father, not only did you redeem us, forgive us of our sins, you've made us your sons and daughters, and then you have built your church, your body, to place us in, where we can build up each other. So, Father, we are grateful for that. Let us never take that for granted. Father, we thank you for tonight. Continue to encourage us in Christ as we leave this place. And we pray all these things in his name. Amen. Let's stand together as we respond to God's word in song.